Thanks for listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. This is a sermon from our series, I Am, a picture of Christ through the Gospel of John. If you would like to find out more about us, please visit our website at cbcsavannah.com. Um, hey, my name is Talavo. I am the high school pastor here at CBC. Um, if you're just joining us, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to be up here uh, with y'all. So we are uh, nearing the end of our series on the I Am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And something I wanna remind us uh, about is that each one of these statements uh, should point us back to an encounter that Moses has with God at the burning bush in Exodus three, okay, this is when God tells Moses that he's supposed to lead his people out of Egypt, and Moses says, okay, well, if they ask me who sent me, if they wanna know what your name is, uh, what should I tell them, okay? And so then Exodus three fourteen, God says to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, okay? So have that in mind as we jump into our next I am statement. Uh, the claims that Jesus has already made and the claim we're unpacking today carry a lot of weight and significance, right? And if you're going to make a claim like the one that Jesus uh, is making, then you better make sure that you have the authority and the ability and the power uh, to deliver on that claim, right? Otherwise, you'll be exposed as a fraud. So let me tell you about a claim that I made once. Uh, I was an advertising major at South Carolina and obviously I I didn't stay in advertising Um, for long, but I wanna tell you about what was probably the highest and the lowest point of my very short uh, stint in the advertising world, okay? So they both happened in the same place. My senior year uh, at Carolina, uh, my professor nominated me for this program, and I got in, and um, so they flew me up to New York, and uh, I was gonna spend a week meeting with people from all of these agencies all over the country, and the whole idea was that after this week, I would go home with a job, Okay, no pressure. Uh, Now, first of all, I never win things, okay? And I never get picked for things. I have this theory, uh, it's not proven, but I'm I'm pretty sure that I've I've certainly won a few raffles before, but when people saw my name, let's give it to the next guy, this is a little too hard. Uh, But I never win things, okay? And I think because my last name is Ratsom Harrison. I'd never been to New York City before, right? They, they met, had a car meet me at the airport. They gave me a per diem. Okay, I took French in high school and I, I didn't know what that even meant. Um, and then the whole time, right, they took us to a show on Broadway. They like just really did it up. And the whole time I was saying, okay, it doesn't get any better than this. Like, this is it. This is Mad Men. Okay, and that, that's obviously, that's the highest point of my advertising life. Um, and all year I was going back and forth between whether or not to like, that I want to pursue advertising full time or did, I had a, a ministry opportunity open up, right, to pursue high school students uh, with Young Life. But when they gave me that per diem, I was like, man, this, this is what God wants for me to do next, okay? Um, so me landing at that time was my dream job, like all hinged on this one afternoon, okay? So um, each of us would go around, there were about 50 of us there and we would introduce ourselves to these people um, 
and, and to see if we were a good fit, right? It's basically speed dating. And so the night before, everybody's scattered around the hotel with their laptops out, and we're doing, we're researching, we're studying up who's there, uh, we're seeing what kind of work they had done and deciding whether or not we were gonna be a good fit for them. And so we all made our lists uh, to see who we'd go see and hopefully work for after this week. And so the next day came and I had a pretty great afternoon. Okay, and I felt pretty confident about a couple of places and I really should have stopped there. Okay, but then I wouldn't get to tell you about what maybe was the lowest point of my advertising life. Okay, so we're wrapping up in the afternoon and I see an agency that looks really familiar. Um, but it wasn't one that I'd planned on meeting with at all, okay? I didn't do any research on them beforehand, but honestly, at this point, I was flying pretty high, okay? I was feeling myself, and I thought, okay, man, it would be nice to score another win today. Before I go home, it'd be nice to get another win. So I approached this lady and introduced myself, and then I make this claim, okay? I said, man, I, I've been following your agency for a while now, okay? That's not true, and, and I'm... And I really, I love all the work you've done this year. It's been awesome. Also not true. And I think I'd be a pretty good fit for y'all, okay? And so remember, if you're going to make a claim, then you better make sure that you can follow through on that claim. Otherwise, you'd be exposed as a fraud, right? And so everyone who's had a job interview uh, knows where this is going, okay? And so somehow I'd forgotten to think through what might happen next, Okay, I only made it to like, ah, wait, this would be great. This would be a nice fit. Uh, and so she asked the most natural, the most predictable follow-up question ever, right? That's great. Which one's your favorite? Tell, tell me which one was your favorite, okay? And the lowest point of my advertising life, okay? I'm at a total loss for words. I'm babbling. I'm starting to sweat uh, in front of her. I'm trying to reach for anything to say, and I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking around for clues at this point. Okay, I'm panicking, and so I look at her, and I'm dying a little bit on the inside, and I don't remember exactly what I said. I'm pretty sure I blacked out for a little bit, but it was something um, along the lines of, I'm kind of having a hard time thinking right now, <laughs> right? And so, right in that moment, she and I both knew that I had been exposed, okay? And so I walked away like a fraud, um, but the story isn't all bad, okay? So I got this grant, well, that's really a humble brag, isn't that? That's not what I meant at all. I got this grant while I was there this week, and I took the money, and I bought an engagement ring, and I proposed to Bess, um, and, and then we went on staff with Young Life, right? Despite the per diem, that was tough, uh, and then the rest is history, okay? So today, we're gonna be in John 10, okay? And we're gonna unpack, we're gonna be looking at a much more significant claim, okay? And this time, the person making that claim can make good on what he's saying. Okay, John 10, Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. So why don't we go ahead and we'll turn there. Uh, and just a quick disclaimer as you're turning, okay, you might be excited to hear about all of my research on sheep this week, right? Uh, and there's a part of me that really wants to impress you with some fun sheep fact that you may or may not have heard before, but this text has very little to do with sheep, right? And it has everything to do with the shepherd and who he is and what he's like, okay? And so, and then one last thing. I know that uh, sometimes this part feels like a formality, right? Like, man, let's, let's get through reading the passage so we can get to the good part, okay? Uh, but I really believe that the words we're about to read next are the most important thing that you're going to hear today, 
okay? And so this is straight from the mouth of Christ. Look at verse 10, I'll read to 19. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority laid down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Then verse 19, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words, okay? There are two big things I want us to take away from these verses, okay? Here's the first one. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. And I know that sounds so obvious, like duh, we just read that. That's what this whole thing is about, okay? But we have to remember that all of this, all of the I am statements center around the identity of Christ, Okay, uh, the Bible was filled with sheep and shepherd imagery, right? Uh, the people Jesus is talking to would have been really familiar with his language. Okay, it's one of the ways that God describes how he relates to his people. Like in Psalm 23, verse one, really familiar, right? The Lord is my, what? Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Okay, and here's the big one. This is the kicker. This is where their minds would have gone when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. In Ezekiel 34, God makes this promise. Okay, in verse 22, he says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And then 23, 24, it says, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And one thing you have to understand is that David had died long before this prophecy. Okay, so who was God talking about? Who was he going to send to be the shepherd over his flock? Okay, well, Ezekiel 34 verse 15 says, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. Okay, God was going to send himself. Okay, God was going to send his son to be the shepherd over his people. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what he's claiming is that I am God. Okay, God just said, I'm coming to be the shepherd. And Jesus just said, I'm here. It's me. I'm the good shepherd. I am who you've been waiting for, right? And that's why verse 19, it says, there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Uh, Then verse 20, if you look ahead, it says, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane, why listen to him? And this type of division, right, this disagreement seems to happen every time Jesus makes an I am statement, right? And they're not arguing about how dumb sheep are, and they aren't picking apart his metaphor, okay? What's dividing them is the identity of Christ. Is Jesus really who he says he is? Okay, it's really important to me that we start here because we can't go any further 
if we don't believe that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be. Okay, and something that's really interesting to me is how in a culture where we are so quick to affirm how someone chooses to identify themselves, right, we're still unwilling to believe the claims that Jesus makes about himself. Okay, and so like, sure, Jesus, Jesus might be one of the ways to life. He might be a source of truth. That might be good for you. Um, but he can't say he's the way or the truth, right? He might be a good shepherd, but he can't say he's the good shepherd, okay? And again, the issue is the identity and the authority of Christ. Is he insane? Is he a liar? Or is he who he claims to be, right? So what about you? Um, do you really believe that Jesus is who he says he is, okay? Because Jesus is the good shepherds, okay? So let's quickly walk through what Jesus says about himself, okay? If Jesus is the good shepherd, then what is the good shepherd like? What do we need to know about the good shepherd? There are three things. Here, the first one is this. The good shepherd owns his sheep. The good shepherd owns his sheep. Verse 12 says that the hired hand does not own the sheep. And the hired hand runs when he sees danger coming for the sheep, right? And why does he run? Because the sheep don't belong to him and because he values his life more than theirs. This is just a part-time job for the hired hand, okay? He's thinking what some of us might have thought before, right? They don't pay me enough to do that, okay? I'll, I'll watch the sheep, but I'm not gonna stick around for the wolf, okay? But caring for the sheep isn't just a summer gig for the shepherd, right? He owns them, they belong to him, and so he cares for them. We're gonna see the extent of that in a little bit. And so if you're in Christ, be confident in the fact that you belong to Christ because the good shepherd owns his sheep. Okay, here's the second thing. The good shepherd knows his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. Verse 14 and 15 say, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Okay, please don't be bored with that statement. It's absolutely profound that, that if you're in Christ, then you are known by Christ. And Jesus knows you um, like he knows the Father, right? Intimately, fully, completely. This is very affectionate language, okay? It's like what Clint shared last week when Jesus says in John 15, verse 19, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. And what it means to be known by Christ is to know that God doesn't just love you, but he actually likes you. Okay, he knows everything about you. He knows what you're like. He knows what we're thinking. Um, and he doesn't just put up with me and you. Okay, he loves you and he likes you. Um, and that if you're in Christ, you are known by Christ. And here's the third thing we need to know about the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. So in verse 10, Jesus talks about a thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. And then in verse 12, he talks about a wolf who comes to snatch and, and scatter the sheep. The reality here is that the sheep have an enemy. Okay, the sheep have an enemy. You and I have an enemy. And the biggest threat to the sheep, the things that would prevent us from knowing the good shepherd and rob us of experiencing the life that he promises are sin and death. Okay, but unlike the hired hand, the good shepherd does not flee from the wolf. 
okay? Because the good shepherd owns his sheep and the good shepherd knows his sheep. So how does the good shepherd rescue his sheep? How can he save them from the wolf? Okay, Jesus knows that the only way that he can save their lives is by laying down his own. Okay, that's why John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming towards him, he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, Jesus gives his life for his sheep to rescue them from sin and death. And here's the thing. Okay, all of this hinges on Jesus being exactly who he says he is. Okay, because how, how can we be sure that sin and death have really been defeated? Right, look at verse 18 again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Okay, the only person with the power and the authority to take up his life again would be God himself, right? And so the only way to know if Jesus is who he claims to be, and the only way to be sure that sin and death have been defeated would be if he took up his life Again, and the good news of the gospel is that he did. Okay, Acts 2 verse 24 tells us that God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. That's an awesome verse. Okay, it was not possible because Jesus has the authority to take it up again, and he did. Okay, that's why 1 Corinthians 15 uh, verse 54 to 57 says this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Or death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, and there's more. Uh, Jesus giving his life and taking it up again, defeating sin and death, makes a way for you and me to know the good shepherd. And that's why Jesus says this in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd, right? That's us. That's who Jesus had in mind, but it's not just us, okay? Here's, here's what else Jesus has in mind. This is just a quick glimpse, okay? Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb. That's the one flock that Jesus is talking about. Okay, and that's why we talk so much about going to be the church. Okay, whether it's next door, or it's at work, or it's in this neighborhood, or it's in Rwanda, or in Costa Rica, or it's serving in CBC Kids, or it's going to the high school as a young life leader, because there are still other sheep. And Jesus gave his life for them too. Okay, that's why we talk so much about going to be the church. So this is the first big takeaway from our passage, right? Jesus is the good shepherd. And the good shepherd owns his sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep. And the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. And here's the last takeaway. This one will be quick, okay? The good shepherd leads his sheep to life. The good shepherd leads his sheep to life. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus gives his life to rescue us from sin and death, from the things that would rob us of experiencing life with him. And because Jesus is who he says he is, and because he has the authority to take up his life again, and because he actually did, right, means that the sheep have not been left without their shepherd. Okay, he's still our good shepherd. Christ is alive 
and he still wants to lead us away from the things that steal, kill, and destroy and lead us towards the abundant life that he promises, okay? So how should we respond to this? If Jesus is a good shepherd, if he is who he says he is, and if the good shepherd wants to lead his sheep to life, then our response should be to follow Christ, to follow the good shepherd. Okay, so let me ask you a question. Who are you following? Who are you following? Who or what are you hoping will lead you to life and joy and contentment? Who are you following? And let me give you two big categories to think about. These are, these are two things that uh, we might choose to follow with the hope that they'll lead us towards life and joy. Here's the first one. Sometimes we'll try to follow the world. Okay, sometimes we'll try to follow the world. That, that sounds a little Christianese, right? Like, what do you mean by following the world? So I'll do my best to unpack that for us. Here's what I mean. I think that sometimes we'll look around our neighbors or the guys at work or our friends at school or we'll look on social media and we'll think, man, they seem like they've got it all. Right, look at all the fun they're having. Look at how happy their family uh, is. Look at how they can just do whatever they want, okay? And we see that and we're like, I want in on that. I want in on that. And we ignore the fact that maybe that Instagram or that Facebook post isn't really a picture of real life, okay? And so instead of living lives that are distinct, like Will told us about a couple weeks ago, and instead of letting Christ have a say, and letting him lead us towards the abundant life that he promises, we try and blend in. And we try and figure out how we can look like the rest of the world. So we'll try to model our lives and model our way of thinking after what we see out in the world. Like the way that we parent, or the types of relationships that we have, or the choices we make about our lifestyle, or the things that we choose to value. Okay, we become willing to run the world's playbook uh, to find life and joy. Ephesians 2 verse 2 calls this following the course of the world. Okay, and I really hope that makes sense. Okay, following the world means that we're trying to project the appearance of life and joy instead of actually following Jesus to experience it. Okay, and so as long as I look a certain way, as long as um, my spouse or my kids look and behave a certain way, as long as my life looks a certain way, then I'll be content, right? Then I'll really be able to experience life and joy. But the Bible warns us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. Why? Um, because the world can't deliver on its claims or promises for life and joy. The world cannot deliver on its claims. Uh, here's how the rest of that verse continues. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, here's the next one. Sometimes we'll try to follow the money. Okay, follow the world or, or follow the money. And this one makes a little more sense. It's a little more straightforward, okay? The, the modern day philosopher, Ariana Grande, she says this, happiness is the same price as red bottoms. Okay, those are shoes, by the way. And I realize that only 28 of you got that reference. Um, <laughs> But following the money means that instead of looking to Christ to lead us towards the life that he promises, we're hoping that maybe we can just buy some version of it instead, okay? Um, maybe we've bought into the idea that the only way we're gonna experience real life and joy is when we can finally buy that house 
um, or when we finally get that promotion, or when we can finally get that membership and can put that sticker on the back of our car, right? And so we look at our stuff, we look to our stuff to give us life, and we look to our money to provide or purchase joy and satisfaction for us. Okay, and if, if that doesn't work out, then it's because we don't have enough stuff. Okay, so we go and get more stuff, or it's because we don't have enough money to go buy more stuff, and so we go and we find some more money. And the Bible warns us about this too. First Timothy 6, verse 10, it says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And again, the truth is that money or possessions can't deliver on their claim for life and joy and fulfillment can realize that these things, that the things that you and I choose to follow and the things that we hope will lead us towards life and joy can't deliver, okay? And I'm not trying to knock success and it's not evil to work hard in a career and earn some money and it's not wrong to buy things, but these things make terrible gods, okay? They can't make good on their claims. They will eventually steal and kill and destroy the life and the joy that you hope they would bring you. Um, these are bad, false shepherds, okay? They're hired hands. And Jesus would say they care nothing for the sheep. So who are you following? And I have one last bonus question. For those of us who would say that we're in Christ, okay? Uh, when was the last time you followed the good shepherd? When was the last time you followed the good shepherd? And what I mean by that is when was the last time you let Jesus have a say in your life? And when was the last time you asked Jesus to weigh in um, on a decision or in a relationship or on how you should spend your money? Right? When was the last time that you followed Jesus when he's led you or your family in one direction while the rest of the world is headed the other way? Okay, and if it's been a while, then I would urge you to, to prayerfully consider where in your life you need to let Jesus lead, okay? Uh, because the invitation for all of us is to follow the good shepherd, to follow Christ as he leads us towards abundant life. And maybe for you, God is calling you to follow him for the very first time today, okay? And, and I hope you take him up on that, okay? Jesus can make good on his claims, uh, and maybe, or maybe it's for the hundredth time. Maybe God wants you to follow him towards your next step of obedience, okay? Whatever that may be. Maybe he's leading you towards a different lifestyle. Maybe he's leading you towards repentance. Uh, maybe it feels like he's leading you away from what you thought was your dream job, okay? Or maybe he wants to lead you towards people who are different, right? Maybe he's calling you to engage with people who don't look like you for the sake of the gospel, okay? And it's scary and it's uncomfortable and it might cost us and it might feel impossible, but ultimately what Jesus is asking us to do is to follow him towards abundant life. That's where he's leading us. Because like this is the way to abundant life, right? Come and follow me towards abundant life. And what it means to follow the good shepherd is simply to believe that he is who he says he is, right? And, that he's, and, and us being able to recognize and follow his voice. John 10, 27, 28 say, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And I know of no better way to hear the voice of our good shepherd than through reading the Bible. 
and through prayer. And don't tune me out here, right? Because the more we do that, the more we'll be able to recognize where God might be leading us. And the more we'll be willing to follow him because we've seen that he is who he claims to be and that he makes good on all of his promises. Okay, and the promise for us today is this, that Jesus is the good shepherd and the good shepherd leads his sheep to life. John 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Um, and thanks for your word. Thank you for the reality that you are exactly who you claim to be, Lord, and that you have made good on all of your promises. And I'm thankful that you are our good shepherd, God, and that you've made a way for us to know you, to be known by you. So I pray that you would help us uh, to take you at your word. And I pray that for, for me, I pray that for your church, that you would give us the courage and the willingness to follow you where you lead us. And you remind us, God, that the, all of this ends in abundant life. That's your desire for us. That you came that we would have life and have it abundantly. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.